The Dave Berta Podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. I'm Dave Cornoyer, and you're listening to the Dave Berta Podcast. We are recording this episode on September 12th, 2021, and I'm joined here, uh, as always, by our producer, Adam Rosenhart. Welcome back. To I guess I was gonna say welcome back, Adam, but but this is our first uh, our first podcast of our new season. So welcome back to both of us. Welcome back to our listeners yeah, to the welcome, Dave Berta podcast. Welcome back, Dave. It's it's good to see your face and hear your voice again. Yeah, absolutely. We're still we're still recording this remotely, um, but I can see Adam's face on the screen, and he's uh, he's as charming and uh, and handsome as ever. I can report oh, back. And vice versa, my my good friend, you look great. <laughs> was was the summer good to you? Would you describe it? For yourself as the best summer ever? Uh pro- probably not the best summer ever, but I had uh I had I did have an okay summer. We uh my family and I went camping, uh spent uh, spent a couple weeks camping down in Drumheller and Dinosaur Provincial Park, which was absolutely beautiful. And we decided to uh to go early in the summer because usually it's not as hot down there. But this year we went during the first or second wave of uh second week of the heat wave where um you know, it was like plus 40, literally plus 40, plus 41. So it was, it was, um, part of my language. It was damn hot. Um, <laughs> but, it, but, it, but, but it was a great time. The kids love the dinosaurs and it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, the Badlands is just an incredible, absolutely beautiful place, beautiful part of the province. And the, um, the, uh, the people there are, are fantastic. And, uh, and we had a fantastic, we had a great time. Um, okay. and then, yeah, we just did some camping trips and uh, trips out to the cabin to see family and stuff. And yeah, it was, it was, it was good. It was, uh, you know, it wasn't our typical, uh, you know, go to BC and, you know, go to Vancouver Island or, or visit family in Vancouver or, um, or hang out in the Okanagan, like, uh, like a lot of Albertans and like, we are, we are usually, uh, accustomed, accustomed to doing, but, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, soon we'll be, we'll be back to that. Yeah. I, I. I can only dream. It's been so long since that kind of normalcy has been been a thing. Did you, Dave, while you're on vacation, do you take a break from politics or are you still pretty tuned into stuff? Well, I took a break. I, 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 I planned to take a break. And then uh, and then Prime Minister Trudeau decided to call this damn federal election. <laughs> uh, so for some reason, I still don't know why he called the federal election. But uh, yeah, so I didn't I didn't get the the break that I that I had initially hoped for. But that's fine. Um, there's plenty to write about, even in uh, in normally boring Alberta for uh, uh, for federal elections. Um, there, at least there's some there's some there's a handful of interesting races and uh, some interesting commentary. So I've done uh, um, some radio spots on CBC and on 6:30 Chad and talking about the federal election. And uh, so there there is some stuff to talk about. And there's actually I mean there are some interesting interesting races here in Edmonton as well. Yeah, so. yeah. I think you, you mentioned you don't know why the the Liberals called the election. I don't think, you know, based on what they've said over the last few weeks, they really know either. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's 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 like they had they didn't need to call the election. They had all the cards in their, you know, in their hand. Um they were, you know, they had the ability to set the the, you know, the narrative, the timing, you know, to have all their candidates in place ahead of the election which they didn't or ahead of the the head of the writ drop which they didn't, um especially here in Alberta. Um, but it seemed like they, I mean, they went for it because they saw the national polls and they thought they could get a majority. And, and now, uh, I mean, that's, that's very much up in the air. It looks like, I mean, depending on which, which polls you're looking at the re- recently over the past couple of days, it looks like the liberals have pulled ahead nationally, but, um, 
really what I'm interested in is those regional polls that show, you know, where, you know, who's competitive in places like Ontario and British Columbia and Quebec, where, where a lot of the seats are and where a lot of the competitive races are. Um, Cause as we know in the 2019 federal election, the conservatives actually won the popular vote that they won the national polls, but that has, that had a lot to do with the, massive voter turnout and the lops, real lopsided victories that the conservatives uh, had in Western Canada. So you had, you know, conservative MPs in Alberta winning with like 50,000 vote margins in the rural areas. And, and that contributed to this, like them winning the popular vote, but not winning where it actually met, where they actually needed to. So they weren't really competitive in places like Ontario where they needed to actually win seats. What is, what is it shaping up like regionally for you in, in those places where there are their most seats like Ontario, Quebec, British Columbia, who is, who's leading this race? Cause the national polls right now have the CPC and the, the liberals neck and neck. But uh, as you just mentioned, that is probably not the case. Yeah. And I think the difference between 2019 and 2021, at least from, from the, some of the commentary I've heard and some of the, the regional polls I've looked at. And I mean, keep in mind, usually when you get regional polls, the, the sample size is smaller because usually it's a subset of the national poll. So the sample size is smaller. So the margin of error is usually bigger. And it, depending on which part of the country that looks like, like we've been seeing some regional polls coming out of Alberta where the margin, where like poll, the, the margin, the margin of error is like nine or 12%. And that's basically like, it's not really worth much as a poll. Like it's interesting to look at, but like, you know, it could be nine points or 12 points up or down. Um, so, so those, those aren't really, uh, those aren't really, uh, aren't really useful. Um, but from what I've seen, what, what I, what I, what I, uh, what I've seen in, in the, some of the, some of the regional polls is that, um, I mean, it looks like the conservatives are more competitive in places like Ontario. And, and, uh, I mean, that's where, you know, you, the, they really need, they really need to have a breakthrough. Yeah, for sure. And now what about here in Alberta? We've got in Edmonton, we've got maybe a couple of ridings that are in play There's mm -hmm. Edmonton center, which went to James Cumming with the Conservative Party of Canada last election, mm -hmm. beat Randy Boissonneau. Well, it's Randy Boissonneau and, and James Cumming fighting again for that one with, um, now I'm going to mess up the last name, Heather McKenzie in Edmonton? Heather, Heather McKenzie, yes. Okay. One of the two NDP Heathers running, 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 running not to be confused with Heather McPherson, who's right. the NDP MP or incumbent running for re-election right across the river. Yeah. Right. They're saying Edmonton Center's in play, that which is my writing, and then mm -hmm. they're also saying that Edmonton Griesbaugh is in play, which is where MP Kerry Diot uh, is running for re-election, and he's being challenged in a big way by Blake Desjardins. Mm -hmm. So, and that's your writing. So, that's my writing. Yeah. First of all, those narratives about these these writings being competitive are they legitimate? Uh, I th I think that I think that yes, they are competitive. Um, it does not necessarily mean that they're going to flip. Uh, I think there's, you know, I mean, it's Alberta. So, you know, the major, vast majority of seats in this province are probably going to go blue on election night. And, you know, there's a possibility that we could end up in the same situation as we did. And we were in the 2019 election where there are 33 conservatives and one and one new Democrat. That's within the realm of possibility. But there are some, what I see as, as, uh, as some competitive races in this province. And I mean, the two that you, you talked about are, are kind of the big ones, Edmonton Center. You know, it'll be interesting to see whether Randy Boston is able to, you know, able to win, uh, you know, to, to win that seat back. Um, you know, it, nationally, you know, it doesn't look fantastic for the Liberals. And I think the Liberals, um, you know, they benefit in Alberta when there's when they're up in the polls nationally and there's a bit of a wave and there's a bit of a, uh, you know, you can really make that argument that, you know, we, you know, you're riding 
would be better off with a government voice. Well, when it's not sure who the government is going to be, whether it's conservative or liberal, it's a little, you know, that, that's a little, little less of a, a hard, uh, hard argument to make, or a little less of a solid, less, less of a solid argument to make. But uh, I mean, Randy's, uh, you know, he's out there campaigning hard and, uh, um, he's got name recognition. This is actually the third time that uh, that uh, Randy Bossano and James Cumming have faced each other in an election. They, uh, um, when Bossano won in 2015, Cumming was the conservative candidate, and then they had the rematch in 2019 when Cumming was elected, and then and then uh, and Randy's back for the for the uh, the third rematch. Um, what I think so that'll be interesting to see. I think in, in Edmonton Center, it, it's interesting because there's, I mean, the NDP are kind of this. I mean, the past couple elections, they've always placed third. They have a fairly solid or a fairly consistent base of voters. So like, whereas in between the past, the past two elections, the liberal and conservative vote has kind of flipped up and down. Um, the NDP vote has pretty, stayed pretty consistent, which I think really undermines the whole vote splitting argument between the liberals and the NDP in Edmonton Center. I think that there's a lot of red blue vote switchers in Edmonton Center. I mean, obviously there are people who vote in who switch between the NDP and liberals. People vote different ways in different elections, but looking at it, it seems like that uh, that vote splitting didn't really have anything to do or not vote splitting didn't really have anything to do with Boston winning in 2015 and vote splitting didn't really have anything to do with vote with Boston losing in, in 2019. It had to do with, with the conservative vote going up and the liberal vote going down largely. Mm -hmm. Um, so that'll be interesting because I know the New Democrats want to, you know, they, they want to be in a position to, you know, build in, in, in that, in that, um, in that riding. And some of the NDP supporters I've talked to and organizers I've talked to have said that, um, that the party is starting to put more resources into, into Edmonton Center doing phone broadcasts and targeted ads and stuff. So they see there's a potential um, uh, for, you know, if the liberals do decline, there's a potential in, in that riding, but that, so that, that, that'll be interesting to watch. And then, uh, Edmonton Grease Ball, yeah, it was it was funny. About ten minutes before we started recording, uh, I had a knock on the door, and uh, there was a volunteer from Blake Desjardins' campaign, the NDP candidate, handing out uh, vote in the advance poll pamphlets. So they've been going around uh, doing that today here in Highlands, um, in in my neighborhood, knocking on doors and and uh, handing out, uh, getting people to vote out, uh, vote, um, vote, uh, vote in the advance polls. Now I'm, I'm not going to vote in the advance polls because I like to vote on election day. Really, uh, I do. Yeah. Yeah, it's just my it's my thing, um, uh, and hopefully it's a lot of your things too. I mean, or vote in the advance polls if you guys want. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it suggests to me that there's a pretty you know that uh, that Desirée has a pretty well organized campaign, and you know, keep in mind I live in a pretty orange part of Edmonton Grease Spa. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, this is provin pr provincially it's Janice Irwin's riding. Um, you know, federally this area is usually pretty orange during the federal elections. Uh, Carrie Diot, the conservative candidate, usually does much better on the northern part in the northern neighborhoods of the, of the riding north of the Yellowhead, um, kind of the more like older suburbs. Yeah. Um, uh, so, you know, there's a lot of orange signs in my neighborhood. There's a few blue signs. There's actually a few people's party signs that have popped up over the past couple of days um, planted firmly right beside the uh, Mike Nickel for mayor signs on these people's lawns. So um, that's, that's interesting. And then there's kind of a handful of liberal signs, but largely in my neighborhood, it's, it's, it's orange signs. And, and I expect this neighborhood will be pretty, pretty NDP supporting when the, uh, when the, when the votes are counted. So that'll, it'll be interesting. There's kind of a regional, regional divide in, in the riding between kind of South of the Yellowhead and North of the Yellowhead. So, yeah. Have, have you been paying any attention to some of the potential swing ridings or at least they're being positioned to swing ridings in Calgary. Uh, I think Calgary Skyview is one of them mm -hmm. and 
and then there's a uh, cardinal direction riding maybe Cal- but, uh, Cal- calgary center no i can't remember now but one calgary confederation one, uh, maybe one maybe okay yeah George, those are kind of the three george something is the liberal yeah. candidate and jordan stein is the other one i think maybe uh well george shahal who's a city councillor in calgary is the liberal candidate in calgary skyview and okay. that's the riding that the liberals won in 2015 when, when um, mla darshan king uh, one Calgary, uh, Jordan Stein is running in Calgary Forest Lawn, which is just like south of that. I think just it's like the east. Like Calgary Skyview is the northeast riding, and then Calgary Forest Lawn is more of an east Calgary riding. Like it's okay. like less north. Um, I mean, I, I'm not sure if Calgary Forest Lawn is is really competitive. I guess we'll see. Um, I mean, Skyview seems to be it's it's you know Shahal is well well known uh, in in the area. The riding the area has a uh, you know, has a pattern of voting liberal in the past, at least in what in 2015. Um, and uh, Shahal has been endorsed by Nahid Nenshi. He's been endorsed by two of the leading uh, Calgary mayoral candidates, uh, which is interesting, and, and a handful of city councillors. So um, he seems to have some kind of non nonpartisan progressive support um, um, from uh, from some of the municipal folks in in that riding. Um, Calgary Center is is kind of one of the other ones I, I keep an eye on. That's uh, Sabrina Grover is is um, uh, running against Greg McLean, uh, who's the conservative conservative incumbent who's running for running for re-election. Um, I don't know if any of the Calgary writings are actually competitive. They're kind of ones that I I watch because they were they've been competitive in past elections, um, mm-hmm. but. You know, they the Liberals won both those seats when they won a big majority government in 2015, and there was a big red wave, and you know, kind of there, there were ripples that crashed or splashed over here in Alberta, and the Liberals were able to win two seats in Calgary and two seats in Edmonton. I don't know whether those Calgary seats are actually competitive. My gut says no, um, but I mean, if the Conservative vote declines, which I mean, this is a thing. Some of the, we we don't really have a good taste of what's going on in Alberta with with the polls because the regional polls usually have such a big margin of error yeah. um, that uh, I mean it looks like the conservative vote has gone down from the 70 percent it was in 2019 which I wouldn't be surprised if it if it does there seems to be a kind of a, a bit of a lack of enthusiasm um, for the conservatives in Alberta not that they won't win most of the seats but I don't know if people will uh, will be as um, as excited or conservatives will be as excited to flock to the polls this time around as they were last time yeah, I it'll be it'll be interesting. Um, th- there was there's been talk even of you know Jason Kenney's extended vacation this summer, and to what degree that was at the behest of uh, CPC leader Aaron O'Toole, basically saying these are my words, not Mr. O'Toole's words, but you're bad for the conservative movement, so get out of sight, and that could that could lead to. Uh, a lack of enthusiasm for the conservative movement in Alberta this cycle. Yeah, you know, the in 2019, Jason Kenney was everywhere. He spent a week campaigning in Ontario with uh, with conservative candidates in Toronto and in Ottawa and, and everywhere in between. He was in, I think he was in Winnipeg for a couple of days campaigning. We had um, UCP cabinet ministers like uh, Dimitrios Nicolaitis was in Montreal campaigning with conservative candidates. Um, I think there were some conservative MP or conservative ML, UCP MLAs and cabinet ministers who went to British Columbia to campaign. They were kind of everywhere. Um, so this is quite different. They're really staying off the, off the, off the campaign, federal campaign trail, really, really below the, the radar, specifically Jason Kenney, who was kind of seen in 2019, he just won the, you know, the, the conservative UCP had just won the provincial election here. He was seen as the, you know, uh, the big, the unofficial leader of the conservative movement. Um, even though Andrew Shear was leader of the federal conservatives, 
Um, but this time, I mean, Jason Kenny's basically hiding in a bunker somewhere. Um, you know, he went on vacation somewhere. We don't know where, you know, whatever he was gone on vacation, but he basically disappeared as the fourth wave of, of the COVID-19 pandemic um, really started to, to, to rise. And then uh, he showed up for one press conference and then basically disappeared. And I don't think we've seen Jason Kenny for a week now. Um, so he's really keeping his head, uh, you know, hidden. Um, and uh, I, I mean, I suspect we'll start to see a lot more of Jason Kenny after September, September 21st after the federal election, um, because it's a, you know, it's a big difference from two years ago. Jason Kenny could cost the conser- federal conservatives vote this, the vote uh, votes this time uh, rather than, uh, rather than be uh, someone who attracts conservatives out. It's interesting because uh, over the weekend, I, I was uh, meeting with some friends of mine from outside of Edmonton, folks from Calgary and whatnot. One of them is pretty conservative. And she said, you know, are you really going to vote for this Justin Trudeau guy? And I said, well, are you really going to vote for that Aaron O'Toole guy? So we talked a little bit about the federal stuff. And then, of course, we, as anything else, we start talking about the provincial response to the pandemic here in Alberta and and the same person who is definitely going to vote for Aaron O'Toole's party thinks Jason Kenney is a, is a moron. And it's, but so I, th- I wonder mm-hmm. like to what degree conservative voters will be able to separate the two. Cause I think, I actually think O'Toole's done a pretty good job campaigning. He, he seems reasonable. Dare I say at times, even prime ministerial, uh, certainly with Jason Kenney out of the news, it's, better for him but but there are conservatives out there who like one and think the other's a moron so mm-hmm. so who knows it's going to be a very unusual federal election mm-hmm. and i wouldn't be surprised i mean i've i've I, actually, i've heard this from candidates um running for the liberals and running for the um the ndp here in edmonton who've talked about how on the doors you know when you're door knocking uh you know people don't necessarily want to talk about federal issues they want to talk about how unhappy they are with jason kenny so you know seeing that the uh, you know, this is what federal candidates, this is what municipal candidates are hearing, because uh, we have a municipal election <laughs> happening here in here in Alberta at the same time. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's he's not the asset he was, and uh, I mean, I you know, the Liberals and the NDP. I mean, I've seen some ads, some online ads that uh, that they've been running trying to tie O'Toole and Kenny. Um, I think Kenny's been doing a, a very good job being totally uh, trying to be totally off the radar and not making any appearances. Um, so how? successful they'll be able to to uh to connect the two i don't i you know i guess we'll see yeah for sure it's it's like i said it'll be interesting but you did mention the municipal election here in alberta uh yep. municipalities <laughs> all over the province go to the polls on october 18th um what's what's piquing your interest there other than for example there being 28 mayoral candidates in calgary <laughs> <laughs> it's just like a, a font of democracy in calgary can you reach 50 by I think the deadline, the nomination deadline is on the 20th or the 21st of September. Calgary, my challenge is to you. Can you reach 50 mayoral candidates? How big would that ballot be? I feel like, well, several pages probably are just like a really long card. I would hate I, to be a serious candidate. In in that case, I'd hate to be a serious candidate with like a last name that started with like W or Z. Because you'd be like, you know, way, you know, page, flip, flip to page three and vote for, you know, uh, you know, John Walters or something. <laughs> oh yeah, I know. So I think, you know, if you wanted to get to 50, we could, we could draft you. I know you're not a resident of Calgary, but you can go live with my parents for a little while. What about, uh, what about your parents? Your parents could run. My both parents of them could, could run from here. Both of them could run. There's two. There you go. 
And then, and then the three guys from that uh, that new political podcast, The Strategists. Oh yeah, well they probably need some help with name recognition, so I think that would be good. <laughs> it would be great. Um, but yeah, what are you hearing here in Edmonton uh, about the about the campaign? Who's running a good campaign, in your opinion? Well, I mean, uh, you know, it. <laughs> we got. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot going on with uh, with municipal politics. Um, I mean, the mayoral election, it's hard to say. I mean, you know, we had um, we had Amarjeet Sohi on as a guest on our second last podcast of last season. Um, so people can go check that out. Um, I mean, I, I get the impression that Sohi is the front runner in the mayoral election. I mean, Don Iveson's not running for re-election, as uh, listeners of this podcast will probably know. Um, and then there's, so there's Sohi, and then there's a kind of a whole bunch of other candidates. Mike Nickel, who's the kind of angry pothole uh, you know, let's burn it down, stop the bullshit candidate, um, seems to have a cohesive message and that's stop the bullshit. Um, and it, but, it's landing and it's landing. And I think it's resonating with a lot of people. You're seeing a lot of lawn, a lot of Mike Nickel lawn signs out there. He's having actually having events where they're having, you know, hundreds of people show up for rallies. So, you know, I think that's, that is definitely something to watch. And he seems to be also be running, um, or supporting a slate of candidates who's he's, he's, um, uh, who he's endorsed and you can check out his social media. You know, there's a whole handful of candidates who he's lending his support to. I've actually seen a photo of one of Mike Nichols pamphlets that has a little sticker uh, stuck onto it that says, you know, here's, here's who, you know, here's my pamphlet. And then it's like, you know, if you like me, you might want to check out, here's my, the candidate I'm supporting in this ward. So he's like actually running a, uh, actually running a slate um, of candidates that he's in, endorsed. And I do wonder how that would, how that works with, in terms of uh, the election finance laws and how one candidate promoting another fits in with that and whether that counts towards another candidate's, um, you know, uh, budget, budget in terms of the disclosure. I might actually contact the, uh, the elections office and, <laughs> and ask that question. I'm, um, sure it, I'm sure it's one of those gray areas that they, I'm have, sure. Cause our slates <clears throat> like that, are they, common like do you see that a lot in municipal politics in alberta not well not typically at least not in the big cities i mean you see and i, I don't know how much of a like the, it's the question is how much of a slate how much of a slate is it are they actually are they i mean it seems like yes they're sharing resources because nickel's campaign has slapped these stickers on his uh on his material um uh but we're not you there used to be um municipal pol political parties and kind of more official slates used to be a really big thing in uh, in Edmonton, I think from the like 1920s all the way to the 1950s, it was a um, uh, it was it was uh, there was a group called these kind of they had various names. It was the Citizens Committee or the Citizens Government Committee, and it was kind of like the the business conservative slate. And they dominated city council for you know a good like 30 40 years, and then they kind of exploded and broke up when um, when William Horlack was uh, I think he was convicted of 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 like it has something to do with with uh, with land deals basically corruption william horlack was a very corrupt mayor in edmonton and he was re-elected here many times even after he was you know fined and i think he might have served some jail time um uh we should really rename that park uh you but, need to uh, name it back to mayfair park oh yeah there you go what it used to be yeah well there you go let's uh, let's start the online petition um so this this like citizens committee or this the 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 committee as as I think it was called co colloquially for over over the years um, kind of dominated um, uh, dominated municipal politics in Edmonton and then there were kind of like opposition 
groups, opposition political parties or slates that were uh, that were set up to oppose this group. And then that broke uh, in the late 50s when Horlock was pushed out of office for the first time because uh, it did happen again a couple of, I think he was mayor twice after that. Yeah. Um, uh, this party system kind of broke. And then in the 1970s, in, 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 uh, I think there was kind of an international or at least North, North America-wide kind of movement, like the anti-freeway movement. And it was uh, uh, kind of an urban a new urban design, a new urban develop, or new urban uh, urban growth movement, and we had the Urban Reform Group Edmonton, which was kind of a of a political party, and then there was the, uh, and they elected a number of city councilors that that people were probably familiar with even now, um, Jan Reimer, Betty Hughes, uh, that, that that kind of group, and they were kind of like the progress, I think like the liberal progressive type, and then there was an even there was an actual like leftist progressive group called the. Uh, Edmonton Voters Association or Edmonton Voters Coalition, I think is what it was called. And uh, that's where people like Brian Mason and Ed Wozniak um, came from. And that was their kind of their, their political party. And then I was actually reading back and I'm going totally on a tangent now, but I was actually reading back in the 1970s, there was a, and this, this is, this is relevant because it's something that came up in the news the past couple of weeks ago, a couple of weeks or last week in Edmonton. Um, in the 1970s, there was a group called the I think it was like the Socialist Action Coalition or something. I can't or the, or the the Coalition for Socialist Action for Edmonton, and they ran a mayoral candidate and ran a couple council candidates, and they had a big. This was right around. And for, for those of you who know kind of the history of the NDP, and you can check out the Alberta Advantage podcast. They go and they talk about the waffle quite a bit. Um, it was kind of this um, real ideological split within the NDP between socialists and the social the more moderate social democrats. And, uh, and this group was, I think, not necessarily the waffle, but it was kind of in the same vein. They broke, kind of broke away from the NDP and ran their own municipal slate um, in the Edmonton municipal election, I think 1976 or, or 1974, 1977 or 1974. Anyway, the slate didn't win. They all lost by huge margins. Um, but anyway, that's, I digress. That was really interesting. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, I, I love your deep knowledge of Alberta politics and uh, even municipal politics and hope that uh, we can get you to write that book one day, Dave. Yeah, I need to, I need to, uh, yeah, I need to work on that book. <laughs> now, now shifting gears uh, from the municipal election. I mean, you know, that's, I think, I think there's been a bit of a lull there because the feds really picking up September 20th is election day. Then it's going to get crazy again because basically at the end of the federal election, you're into get out the vote time for the municipal stuff. So, so we've got at least another month and a bit of this nonsense uh, to go. Um, Isn't it great? <laughs> it's great. It's great. But I, I do want to talk about provincial politics. We've mm -hmm. mentioned Jason Kenny's names a few times. He's been, he took a vacation, uh, whatever that means. He was gone for a while. He's gone again. We're in a fourth wave. You've got the opposition NDP screaming for the government to do something uh vaccine passports as they're colloquially known seems to be one of the solutions that many businesses are implementing and the opposition is promoting it was hugely successful in france when macron uh, emmanuel macron the president of france imposed vaccine passports in fact i think the following day they had two million people sign up to get vaccinated wow wow what is going on in alberta uh, let's just start there. What is going on in Alberta? Why, why the absence of Jason Kenney beyond, uh, political election reasons? What, what do you think's going on there? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, aside from the federal election, I mean, Jason Kenney 
has disappeared because if he when when he reappears, he's forced to have to answer questions or at least be confronted with questions about why his government basically de- well didn't basically but declared the pandemic over um, at the beginning of the summer. I mean, we had in July we had Jason Kenney and Health Minister Tyler Shandro standing on uh, on top of the riverbank um, in Edmonton with a big "Open for Summer" sign that they unveiled, and they had baseball caps and merchandise, and you know, like they really went hard on this "Open for Summer," Calgary Stampede, uh, you know, pandemic is over, vaccines are great, and yeah, vaccines are great, but the problem is is that not enough people are being vaccinated or getting vaccinated, and the you know the hesitancy is i don't think is being helped by you know isn't being helped by the by a government that basically declared the pandemic over and then has mlas within the ucb caucus who are kind of you know openly questioning whether vaccines should be mandatory about the importance of vaccines and 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 the like um so i mean i think the government they really they i mean obviously jumped the gun and this is kind of the what we've seen consistently from the ucp government since the pandemic began is they you know they put in you know, they don't want to put in restrictions. They don't want to really respond to the pandemic. Then they do when they're basically forced to after they drag their feet for a couple of weeks. And then the minute cases start dropping, they remove all restrictions. And then surprise, surprise, cases, case numbers go back up pretty quickly after that. Um, so, I mean, the you know, the right now we, you know, we have a huge percentage of the population that is vaccinated. I mean, compared to some places in the United States, but still, in you know compared to other provinces in Canada we are lagging behind here in Alberta and there's regional there's regional um uh <clears throat> large regional areas that are are unvaccinated or, or there's a lot of a lot of people who are unvaccinated and thinking a lot of a lot of rural areas um and then there are age demographic groups that are unvaccinated and that you know that's skews younger it skews you know it's the 20 20 to 40 year olds or whatever it's the i'm invincible you know kind of uh, kind of crew um so in a way, I mean, it, the government jumped the gun in terms of they didn't provide any incentive for people to 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 get vaccinated. It wasn't like it was basically, you know, we hit the 70 percent or 60 percent of eligible people who are able to be vaccinated. So that's everybody over the age of 12, not counting the hundreds of thousands of kids in this province um, under the age of 12. <clears throat> But uh, but by remo- just removing these restrictions, it doesn't seem like it actually created any incentive to get people to rush to get to get vaccinated. So now we're left in a situation where the government has offered million dollar prizes. They've offered um, you know uh, hunting licenses for free. They've offered destinations uh, uh, trips to Mexico, and uh, and now they're even planning on paying people a hundred dollars each. To get vaccinated, and it doesn't seem like it's really been a been give, no, hasn't really been the incentive that we've needed. Yeah, and given their track record of you know announcing one thing, you know, and then two weeks later changing everything, do you do you expect that they'll follow that same pattern? That that's something the Kenny government has seemed to do since they've been in power. I do you do you expect? I guess what I'm asking is, we had a milk toast response. When the premier uh, had his press conference with Tyler Shandro and Dina Hinshaw, do you think a week from now he's going to come back and be like, because no one's listening to me, I'm going to create a vaccine passport? Or do you think that's extremely unlikely from this? I, I think they'll do something, but it'll be it'll be the not not a vaccine passport, vaccine passport. And they'll call right. it something else because they'll be forced into a position because businesses will demand it. <clears throat> yeah. And those those are the. I mean, businesses are a constituency that uh, 
they claim to uh, to kind of own. They're they're business friendly, and yet we're we're faced with a government whose policies have been anything but over the last over the pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not totally, it's, it's been, it's very, the response has been very confusing because it's not clear who they're appealing to. They're appealing to a kind of a small minority who's skeptical. Um, but it seems like if there's a, if there's a position where 90% of Albertans are in favor of something and 10% aren't, they'll choose the 10% or they'll try to do a compromise. The UCP people try to do a compromise between the 10% and the 90%, um, which then just ends up ticking off everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, so, it's so, remarkable. Yeah, it, it really is remarkable. There, I, I've, I've never, I wrote a piece about this a couple weeks ago. I've, I've never seen a politician who is so consistently good at angering the maximum number of Albertans at any given time as Jason Kenney. <laughs> and, it, and I'm not just talking about COVID. I mean, COVID is like a, the the present example. But you go back, you talk about you know open pit coal mining in the Rocky Mountains. You talk about closing and privatizing Alberta's provincial parks. You talk about the war on, you know, the, the UCP's war on doctors, the UCP's war on nurses, the uh, the draft K-12 curriculum. I mean, they're doing things that are in incredibly unpopular and Albertans are voicing <laughs> their their opposition in large numbers. And uh, and the UCP just, they double, they double down and, they, and they, they stick with it. And I do wonder about, I think about the last or the first session of the legislature when after the UCP won and Jason Kenney went around and handing in in the legislature chamber, handing out UCPML to UCPMLAs and cabinet ministers uh, earplugs, right. and you know yeah. it was it was kind of like a ha ha. I think they thought it was a ha ha team building thing, but it seemed very it was very like uh, it was very adolescent. It was very like okay, you know, one minute you say you're a serious government and you want to bring respect and decorum back to back to politics, and the next minute you're handing out uh, you know earplugs to your MLAs so that you know as a joke so they don't have to listen to what the opposition says. Well, it seems like they haven't taken the earplugs out, and it's not just the opposition who's now who now has an issue. It's all of Alberta. All of Alberta. Um, so you know they really need to take out take out the earplugs. What he really should have handed out was buckets of sand they could all stick their heads in, because that seems to be the general response <laughs> over the last two years, in my opinion. Um, yeah, pretty wild, pretty wild stuff. So. We'll see what happens over the next few weeks and months. I guess my last question around the provincial stuff is, how effective do you think the NDP opposition has been in, one, holding the government to account, and two, just messaging against the government? Because like I said earlier, the, the person I spoke to who is a conservative voter mm -hmm. who will vote for Aaron O'Toole also expressed that she really likes Rachel Notley. Mm -hmm. So, um, so what's your view on how they're doing? Well, Ra Rachel Notley has always been the well since 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 she became their party leader in 2014. She's always been their biggest asset. It's it's you know in 2015, yes, people voted for the NDP, and in yes, case in you know in some cases they voted for the candidates, but people were really voting for Rachel Notley, and and that's even the same in, in 2019. It's it's she really carries her party, and she's the she's their biggest asset. And you know when you put you know, if you put Rachel Notley up against Jason Kenney, I'm sure that, uh, you know, I'm sure not, 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 you know, Notley would win, um, especially today. I mean, the election's not, not for another year and a half, but um, no, I think the, I think the NDP have been pretty consistent in terms of their, you know, in terms of hammering the, the government on, on the COVID response. And I mean, it's, it's a little easy in some cases because they're taking they're taking positions where the majority of Albertans are and the government seems to be taking positions where the majority of Albertans are not. Um, 
so in terms, you know, in terms, in terms of their messaging, I think they've, I think they've, at least in terms of their broad messaging, I think they've been, been fairly effective. I mean, in terms of fundraising, they've been wildly successful. I mean, they've raised the past, I think the past three quarters, financial quarters, they've outraised the UCP two to one. Um, so they're, you know, they're, they're doing well in fundraising. They're doing well in the polls. Um, we'll, we'll see how, uh, you know, we'll see how, how that goes over, over the, over the next year and a half. There's definitely a, a good time to be a, a, a provincial new Democrat in Alberta. Yeah. Interesting. Well, we'll see. Ah, so much uncertainty in Alberta politics. It's great. I mean, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's different from the way it was over the 40 years prior to the NDP winning in 2015. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It you know it's uh, we we actually have competitive competitive politics in this province. You know, I want to say um, to just talking about the PCs. So I, I posted a tweet. <clears throat> There's a, uh, a a Twitter account I follow called I think it's called like Populist Updates or something, and they basically post like elect like election results and 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 uh, and updates on like populist parties around the around the around the world. And um, they had a, they they had a question that said was like what would you what basically what's your greatest election what if in terms of like if something had changed and uh, one of the one I I kind of constantly think about in terms of Alberta politics was the uh, and this is getting a bit in the weeds was the 1989 by election in Beaver River and this was the by election where Deborah Gray uh, was elected as the first Reform Party candidate the first Reform Party member of Parliament ever um, and it really was kind of a spark that that uh, you know the the party had a presence in Ottawa. There was, you know, Stephen Harper went to work for went to work for Deb Gray in Ottawa. Um, and I wonder what would happen, what would have happened to the Reform Party and the Conservative movement if they hadn't won that won that by election. But um, uh, in response to that tweet, Cyril Turton, who's the UCP MLA for Spruce Grove Stony Plain, tweeted at me uh, his "What if?" and it was basically "What if in the 2011 pro- uh, Progressive Conservative leadership race? What if?" Um, Doug Horner would have placed second instead of Alison Redford behind Gary Marr. Because as we know in the old Progressive Conservative Party, the front runner or the person who placed front, the being the placing first in the in the uh, in the leadership race in the first round of voting was like the kiss of death, right? Because you would never, you probably would never, never actually win. Um, so uh, in, in our our timeline, in our timeline in the multiverse, uh, Alison Redford placed second and then went on to defeat Gary Marr, I think, on the third ballot. Um, but what Searle was saying was what, ha- what would happen if, uh, Doug Horner would have placed second and instead of Alison Redford defeating Marr, Doug Horner would have defeated Marr. And, 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 uh, and I was speculating that if that had happened, we'd probably be, uh, you know, he, Doug, Premier Doug Horner would probably be retiring right now after 10 years in the Premier's office. And we probably would have avoided all of the, in, all the turmoil and scandal of the, uh, of, of the Redford era. So yeah. anyway, that would just kind of. One of one of the things one of the things that was on my mind, and you talked about kind of stability in the progressive conservative era. There's all sorts of things that, like, if certain decisions weren't made, like you know maybe Jim Prentice would still be premier right now if they hadn't called the election a year early, like that kind of thing. So I, I, I'm I was, a big fan of like the what if, yeah, things. Like, have you been watching that on Disney Plus, the Marvel What If? Yes, the one yeah. with uh, where What If Black Panther was actually um, Star Lord. Yeah, that, that was great. Was great, yeah. Like Buddy Thanos, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Still kind of wants to murder half the universe, but is less of a dick about it. Yeah, yeah, it's more of a philosophical thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm, I have, I have all these like, and we'll have, we should do like a, a what if Alberta politics episode. Or I should really write something down because I have all these sorts of scenarios in my head about like what if 
you know, certain people had, uh, what if, what if what if Joe Clark had become an MLA in 1967 when he ran yeah. for the Progressive Conservatives and narrowly lost, and he never would have gone on to become, uh, you know, to become a federal MP at least not not in the time or not in the timeline that uh, that he did in, in in reality, and maybe he never would have become prime minister, and maybe you know so on so on. So anyway, I find that <laughs> find that stuff really interesting. It's the sliding doors of Canadian politics. Yeah, and and. And there's some kind of really interesting moments, like not counting like the kind of the more, you know, more recent ones, like, you know, like what if Jason Kenney hadn't come into provincial politics and, and, and whatnot, but there's all sorts of ones that are, I think are more interesting than that, that, uh, that are a little more historical. Yeah, for sure. Well, we can, we can do, we could dedicate a whole season to that maybe and bring on, uh, bring on guests who would have a point of view on whether it would have improved our fortunes or not. The what if Alberta politics. Uh, yeah. Okay. There we go. There we go. We, we've, I've, we've planted the seed. It, it could almost be like its own series, but so we'll think. Yeah. About that. Well, and Hey, if anybody, any, any of our listeners have any ideas for what's, you know, what's your, what if of, uh, of, um, of Alberta politics, um, send us a tweet or, or uh, a message. I'd be happy. I'd be through. I'd be very interested to hear what, what, uh, what people have on their mind. This episode of the Dave Berta podcast is brought to you by Bessie box, delivering healthy, naturally raised meat and seafood right to your door. Bessie is a small team in Alberta that delivers local food straight from the farm to you. Choose from Alberta grass-fed and finished ground beef to sustainable Atlantic salmon from British Columbia. You can order on your schedule, whether it's a one-time order or a regular subscription to your favorite Bessie box. All conveniently flash-frozen and portioned so you always have healthy meat and seafood ready to cook up a storm. Go to BessieBox.com to order yours now. Plus, Alberta Podcast Network listeners can use the promotion code APN10 to save 10% off your first order. That's code APN10. Enter it at the checkout at BessieBox.com to save 10% off your first order. This episode of the Dave Berta Podcast is also brought to you by Yeg Podfest, Presented by Edmonton Community Foundation in partnership with the Alberta Podcast Network and LitFest, Canada's nonfiction festival. Running October 1st through 3rd, Yeg Podfest will be held all online this year so anyone can tune in to experience it. Events include master classes with professional podcasters, panel discussions, feature interviews, and more. Some of Alberta Podcast Network's member shows will be there too, so join us for the virtual party from October 1st through 3rd. To check out the full lineup and get tickets now, head to yegpodfest.ca. That's Y-E-G-podfest.ca. Well, you know, um, I don't want to... I don't want to delay too long because we did uh, want to do this first episode back as a Q&A. So yeah. you, you solicited some cues mm-hmm. on uh, on Instagram and Twitter, and we've got a whole bunch of folks who responded. So why don't we open up the mailbag? That sounds great. Here, <laughs> mailbag's open. I'll have to uh, find. <laughs> the next time we do this, I'll find a good sound effect. Okay, it sounds great. All right. Well, it wouldn't be a mailbag episode without a question from... A frequent friend of the pod listener, Mountain Ted. Mountain Ted says, somehow it feels like another uh, UCP caucus revolt is in the air. What, in your opinion, could trigger such a revolt, Dave? 
Well, yeah. Hey, thanks for the question, Mountain Ted. Great to hear from you as always. Um, I mean, it seems like the, you know, some of the, the issues that triggered the last UCP caucus revolt are still around and not really resolved. I mean, it seems like they put, they were able to, um, to put down the revolt with the, you know, kind of the mini cabinet shuffle with, uh, with some of the, with a, you know, and perhaps a new, uh, a new chief of staff uh, in, G- in Jason Kenney's office helped actually having a permanent chief of staff in, in now with uh, Pam, Liv- Pam Livingston is, is probably a bit of a stabilizing factor. Um, in that office. Um, but I think some, I think the issues around Jason Kenney's leadership are still there. Um, I think when you look at, you know, when you look at the polls and you can see that only 4% of Albertans are very satisfied with the government's response uh, and that so much is driven from the premier's office and so much is driven um, uh, in terms of the, the COVID response, I think you can see, and it's, it comes from, it comes from both ways. Um, I mean, it seems like the more, uh, more militant, uh, I don't want to call it, well, those those who are skeptical of 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 public health restrictions seem to be the most uh, the most vocal in the UCP caucus. Um, I also don't think that um, you know. I mean, having another you know another quarter of bad fundraising results um, it definitely is, isn't going to help um, with uh, with MLA keeping MLAs in line and uh, and just the general general polls. So I think I think we're still looking at at the same issues. Um, I don't think it's any of it's really been resolved. I think it's kind of just been. Uh, they were able to kind of pat down the fire, but I think it's still there. I think there's there's still unhappiness with Jason Kenny. The pro- the problem is is that there's no real official official mechanism for them to to get rid of their leader or to change their leader. The you know there was a group or supposedly a group of UCP constituency presidents that were circulating a letter uh, that um, calling on. Uh, the party to hold a leadership review at their AGM this year in, I think it's in November at the Great Eagle Resort in Calgary. Um, but the kind of UCP executive kind of met them at the head or cut them off at the head at the pass and, and, and announced that if there's going to be a leadership review, it'll be held at their AGM in 20, November, 2022, hmm. uh, which, which means it's like right before provincial election. So, which is like either a good thing or a bad thing for Jason Kenny because you're kind of playing a little bit of chicken. You're saying, do you want to, have, you know, to the party? Do you want to have a? Do you actually want to have a leadership race right before the provincial election? And uh, you know, if things are looking better for Jason Kenny, he might be in a stronger position in 2022. But if things are still bad and the party's still plummeting in the polls and their fundraising is still not great by 2022, they're really going to be looking to get rid of him in 2022 yeah. when they're actually given a chance. So we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I think it's good for the NDP if Jason Kenney stays, honestly. Yeah, yeah. it's a, He's a good uh, boogeyman against which to campaign for sure. Thank you, Mountain Ted, for that question. Uh, this next one is from TyGuy80 on Instagram. Uh, TyGuy asks, this is interesting. He Maybe he knows something we don't know because he says, when Kenny departs soon, will the UCP parachute in a new leader or choose from within? So, Dave, what does TyGuy know that we don't? I don't know, uh, <laughs> you know. Maybe we'll have a UCP leadership race in 2021, 2022. It would, it would uh, definitely keep the, the – might be a good way to focus the spotlight <clears throat> on the UCP with some positivity. You get the old guy out, yeah, and then it's all about new ideas and a new leader. Yeah, and parties parties do this all the time. And, I mean, the old progressive conservative party would do this all the time. They would – um, you know, when, when, you know, when Peter Lougheed was getting a little long in the tooth, he resigned and they elected Don Getty. And when Don Getty was plummeting in the polls, they got rid of Don Getty and they took Ralph Klein. And then after Klein, it was like, it was like that, you know, that period in the Soviet Union where they had like five leaders, right, right, after, like year after year, right after, uh, 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 right before Gorbachev, they had like, you know, 
Ed Stelmack, Allison Redford, Dave Hancock, Jim Prentice. It was just like this kind of rotating door. None of them actually were able to finish their term in government or, you know, they were able to, to have to, to be able to run for re-election as premier. Um, uh, but, the, but the PCs were good at reinventing themselves until they weren't, until it was, they basically, like, the well was dry. Yeah, yeah. So do you think that uh, they would bring in a new leader from outside the UCP or outside the province, or would they choose someone from within? I don't know. I think you'd see a mix. You'd probably see a mix. I think there's some candidates who would run from inside the caucus. I wrote a post about this last year um, uh, where I named candidates like Doug Schweitzer, who's the, the uh, I think he's the Minister of Economic Development or some fancy name for economic, for economic development right now, uh, Jason Nixon, um, uh, Travis Taves. I think there was, you know, you'd see candidates like that running. I mean, other other names that I've heard, Rajan Sani, who's now the Minister of Transport, is a name that I hear bantered around. She doesn't really have a lot of, um, like a long time of political experience. She's a first term MLA, but I know a lot of her colleagues are quite impressed with her in cabinet and, uh, and as an MLA. So that would be interesting to watch. Um, and then, Federally, interestingly, I've heard names like Shannon Stubbs, who's the conservative MP for Lakeland, mm-hmm. um, and that uh, she's a name that some some people talked some people talk about as a potential successor for for Jason Kenney if he uh, if he leaves before the next provincial election. All right, well, we'll keep our eyes and ears open for that, Ty guy. Thank you for the question. Our next one comes from Jason Carbs Brooks on Instagram. Jason asks, "Could Kenny be the most irresponsible Albertan premier ever?" So. Maybe another bit of a loaded. Question. I think this is a leaded leading question or a loaded you, question. <laughs> you used to talk a lot about um, some of the stuff. I think that Social Credit Party did, Bill Eberhardt, all that oh, yeah. kind of stuff. Do you think that uh, in your with your historical knowledge, and and let's let's assume Jason's bias here. It's we'll, we're not gonna. It's fine. Um, are there are there premiers in Alberta that have been more irresponsible than Jason Kenney? Oh, I think uh, I mean I, you know I'm, I'm I, there's a lot of Albertans who are unhappy <clears throat> unhappy with Jason Kenney, and I don't think he's been the most responsible premier. Um, but uh, I mean you you still got to go a little 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 further to uh, to uh, get past uh, uh, Bible Bill Aberhart William Aberhart <laughs> who was the first social credit premier. I mean uh, you know uh, trying to pass legislation to print your own money, trying to, uh, you know, pass uh, legislation where, uh, where newspapers would have to disclose their sources and have to print government uh, responses on the main page, uh, kicking the Lieutenant Governor, locking the Lieutenant Governor out of his, uh, out of his residence when the Lieutenant Governor wouldn't sign these uh, clearly unconstitutional bills. Um, The, the, the social credit, uh, caucus that in the legislature actually voted to uh, throw an MLA or throw a um, lock a journalist up in prison. They voted a motion in the legislature to lock a lock an MLA, lock a journalist, an Edmonton Journal um, uh, reporter up in, uh, in in prison because a um, I think it was there was a social credit MLA who was like a chiropractor and he, he felt that the journalist had insulted chiropractors or something. It was just like bananas, real bonkers stuff. Um, <laughs> So, you know, yes, Jason Kenney is, I think, especially in terms of, in, of his response to COVID has been incredibly irresponsible. Um, but, uh, but I mean, he's still got a way to go before he's reached Bill Eberhardt levels. Yeah, well, hey, there's a, as long as there's something to shoot for. <clears throat> 
Oh yeah, and that's just a small list of like Eberhardt. We could, I think, well, we we talked about it on the last podcast of the last season with uh, with our our guest Andrea Hassenbank about uh, about the kind of the, the craziness of the social credit era. Um, yeah. So check out that podcast because that was actually that was that was that was that one was a lot of fun and and we kind of went over some of the uh, the wild uh, wild ride that uh, that the early social credit era was. Yeah, check out the back catalog, Jason, and uh, and we'll see if if Premier Kenny can match it. Um, this next one comes from E Weezy on Twitter. Uh, if the NDP win the next election and Rachel Notley becomes premier, would that make Jason Kenny, in the words of Jason Kenny, Alberta's only one-term premier in the province's history? <laughs> you can tell there's a lot of love for the premier. Here. I think, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I guess in terms of Jason Kenny's definition, yes. Yes. <laughs> that yes. was an easy one. Okay. Thanks, Eweezy. Um, Max Christie, thirty-two on Instagram, asks: With the Alberta Party electing a new leader, that's Barry Morishita, uh, what are the odds of them retaking the riding of Calgary Elbow? Yeah, we haven't even talked about the the Alberta Party. Well, it's here like... we are. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Barry Morishita, uh, who's the mayor of Brooks and uh, the for now the former president of the Alberta Urban Municipalities Association, he resigned when he became leader of the when he was acclaimed as leader of the Alberta Party. Um, he's the the new leader of um, of uh, of the Alberta Party. Um, the odds of I guess getting to Max's question, the odds of of the Alberta Party taking Calgary Elbow. I mean, I guess it depends if they have a good candidate. I think the odd the odds you know could be low. I mean, we'll see what <laughs> probably low. Um, I mean, there you know Greg Clark won Calgary Elbow in in 2015. He almost won it in a 2014 by election. Um, and uh, and he lost in 2019 to to Doug Schweitzer. Um, I guess we'll see. I yeah, you know I I can't really see it right now. But uh, unless they can get Greg Clark to run again, but even then I don't know. I mean this is this is the I mean this is the challenge for the uh, for the Alberta Party. And actually I wrote a post about this this week about <laughs> how the uh, I mean the challenge Barry Morishita's biggest challenge is to make his party relevant. And right now you know we live in a uh, we live in a province where. The opposition, the main opposition party, is leading in the polls, is leading in fundraising. I mean, if you if if the ballot question is um, change the government, the NDP are in a position to do that. So it's you know to have a third party come up. I mean, maybe there'll be you know moderate conservatives who voted UCP last time who aren't comfortable voting for the NDP. There's definitely a lot of people like that. I mean, the Alberta Party got nine percent of the vote in the last election, even though they didn't win any seats. Um, you know, maybe maybe that's their role is the you know the 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 moderate uh, you know the 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 moderate conservatives. I don't know. I mean, it's it's going to be a big challenge for them. And you know, it's unfortunate because I do. I think the Alberta Alberta Party has suffered so many false starts and restarts over mm -hmm. the last two decades that they haven't really been able to make a. Other than when Greg Clark was in the legislature, a significant foothold in Alberta politics. So. So Barry has his work cut out for him. Absolutely. Yeah. Which brings us to our next question from Rates Runs on Instagram. Would Morishita have to run more right than he's been as mayor to win as MLA in Brooks? Or is it possible to win with a centrist message there? Are there any precedents of this in rural Alberta? Well, I don't actually know. I mean, so... Barry Morishita was the mayor, or is the mayor? I think he's the mayor of Brooks. I think he's staying on until until the he uh, and um, a successor is elected in in October. Um, I actually don't know what 
like whether he was kind of a right wing or left wing or or centrist mayor in Brooks. I don't know. I mean, he seemed pretty um, as mayor or as a president of the AUMA. He seemed pretty sensible um, and uh, and very well spoken. But I don't really know like what what his politics were like as mayor of Brooks. Um, I mean, the the riding, the provincial riding that Brooks is located in is Medicine Hat or Brooks Medicine Hat. Um, which is, I mean, obviously includes Brooks, but also includes large, a large swath of rural of of rural area, a rural area in southwest uh, or southeast um, uh, Alberta, and then portion of the city of Medicine Hat. So, like, it is there is a large urban portion of this riding. So, you know, we'll see. There, there have been moderate progressive conservatives who have been elected in Medicine Hat and uh, and in Brooks. So, we'll see. Um, it might not be a right versus centrist thing maybe not we'll see what the uh what the conditions are going into the next election if it's if it is a um you know change the government or don't change the government election um you know maybe he'll be in a position to do that in 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 his own riding where he was mayor and people have voted for him before and he's a known quantity for sure yeah thanks for the question and and also also where the ndp are not strong because like the ndp are not strong in brooks medicine is that is that uh, Drew Barnes's writing? No, that's Mich- uh, Michelle Glasgow is the okay. CPMLA flag. Uh, um, Drew Barnes, who's now an independent MLA, uh, mm-hmm. been kicked out of kicked out of the UCP caucus over the summer. Uh, he is the MLA for Cypress Medicine Hat, which is the other side of Medicine Hat, and then the kind of like the corner, the forgotten corner of uh, of Southeast Alberta. Gotcha. Okay. Well, in any case, rates runs. Thanks for that question. And yeah, thanks. You know, uh, Morishita, like I said, he's got his work cut out for him, but uh, but good luck to the Alberta party. Yeah. All right. Our next question is from Jeff McClarty on Twitter. And Jeff asks, if you were given the job of restoring the public's faith in the legislature by getting directly involved, how would you start? Would you start a new party, fix an existing one? Would you become a lobbyist? Would we see Dave Berta's name on a ballot somewhere? <laughs> Probably not. Um I think this is an interesting question and it's a big question. Um, and I think one of the, one of the things I've been thinking about um, over the past couple of years, and I've kind of gone back and forth in terms of, of, of this idea and on kind of like for it or against it or, um, but I think that I think we need to increase the size of our legislatures. I think we need more MLAs. Really? Yeah. I think we need to Smaller decrease. Writings? Pardon me? Smaller writings? Smaller writings. Yeah, I do. I think we need smaller writings. I think we need, uh, you know, maybe double this, uh, double the amount of people in the legislature. And I think it would uh, increase the connection that MLAs have with their writings. I mean, we were in a situation now where I think the average size or the target size of provincial writings during the last electoral boundary redistribution was around like 57,000 or 60,000, like it was, we're getting close. These writings are getting bigger. Whereas, uh, you know, you go back 30 years and the average size would have been 30,000 or would have been 20,000. And, yeah. you know, you can be a lot, it's a lot easier to be connected with, a, you know, not to say 20, I mean, 20,000 people or a lot of people, but it's a, it's a lot easier to be connected with, with your writing when, you know, when the population is smaller. And I think, um, yeah, I think we would benefit um, having, uh, having more MLAs. So maybe we have, you know, 140 or 150 MLAs in the Alberta legislature rather than the uh, 87 that we have now. Wow. Okay. Well, I think so it's a big that's, question. <laughs> I'd love to hear what, what, uh, what, uh, what other people think. What do you think, Adam? Do you have a uh, thoughts on this? Oh man. I don't know. I, I feel like adding more seats is just like more voices to be <laughs> shouting in this partisan way. I, I just wish, 
I don't think starting a new party is going to help. The Alberta party has been trying to do that. Um, I just wish politics wasn't about these days, the culture war. Yeah. Right. And that we could really just, I don't know that we ever did just talk about issues, but it felt, I was, I was less worried about politics 15 years ago. Like it didn't occupy so much of my time. Yeah. So I actually really don't know the answer, but I think, um, I think, uh, stronger candidates, uh, the way we fund things. I remember talking with a buddy who said that the way we changed, uh, how you can donate provincially really messed things up. It gave voice to people who have no business having voices in politics. I don't know to what degree I, I, I agree with that, but I think maybe we just blow it all up and start over. Yeah. You know, and I don't even know what that looks like. Well, I think making, you know, creating a, a system where more voices are are able to be heard. And I think like when I think about this nationally, I think about, I think Canada would be a better place if we had more liberals and new Democrats elected from the West and we had more conservatives elected from Quebec and, and, and the Maritimes. And it was easier for smaller parties or new parties to, to get elected and have voices. And I think that, you know, there's kind of a, there ends up being kind of a stagnation with, with political parties and it takes big upheavals for that to be, to be overturned. And we have moments in, in Canadian politics, you know, the, Re- the reform party, the Bloc Québécois kind of destroying the progressive conservative party, but you know, we don't, parties are, they're so leader centric and they're so centrally controlled. Um, and I think that's, that's a big problem for our, I mean, nationally, but it's also a big problem provincially. And we saw that with the, you know, the progressive conservatives, we saw that with the NDP and we now see that with the UCP is that everything is so controlled from the center and, you know, it's the executive branch that controls the legislative branch, controls the legislature and, you know, legislatures really, legislators really don't have the, the kind of free reign to make legislation that they do. I mean, it's, it's wild to me that, um, that we have a, uh, you know, even a, a system of orders in the legislature where, you know, MLAs have to put in a hat, you know, put their name in a hat basically to be drawn for, to get there to introduce a private member's bill. So like yeah. you have MLAs who will serve an entire term and they'll never have the chance to, to actually introduce a bill that will be debated in the legislature. And even in that case, even in some cases, the bills they introduce don't even make it past first reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's because it's so centrally controlled from the leader's office or the whips of the house leader's office. Um, so I think giving, I mean, giving MLAs more, more, you know, actually giving them more control. And I, my argument would be creating more, you know, perhaps expanding the size of the legislature would, 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 uh, would lessen the control or could lessen the grip that, that the, uh, the party leaders have on, on the caucuses. But I, I'd love to hear what people think about it. That's just kind of my idea. I mean, it's not just, it's not, it's not an original idea, but it's, it's yeah. what I think. Let me ask you this, because this was a, a topic of, of some discussion among some folks we know on Twitter last week. And that is, you're talking about political parties being so controlling, mm-hmm. the, the control being so centralized. How would having political, and sorry, that's your, your opinion on the one hand. On the other hand, mm-hmm. th- one of the arguments is political parties provide a shorthand to voters so they don't have to know every single issue but they know that a left-wing party generally aligns with a left-wing ideology etc what is your thought on introducing political parties at a municipal level in Alberta mm. it's not something we really do here mm-hmm. do you think do you think it would have the same negative that we see nationally and provincially 
Well, I guess first, I don't think political parties are inherently bad. I think that that they're part of our system and, and that they're necessary. And I think people will, I mean, it's good that people organize around ideas and people organize around ideology and, and, and values. And I think that's a good thing. Um, I think, you know, how our political parties have evolved isn't necessarily incredibly healthy. So, you know, political parties themselves aren't, aren't bad. How they've kind of evolved is probably not fantastic, um, but that can, that, that can be changed. Um, I think political parties at, a, at the municipal level is a really interesting idea. I don't think there's, I don't get the impression there's a big appetite for that, for that uh, here yeah. in Alberta, where, as I, we talked about, I went on a tangent earlier about kind of the political municipal political parties that we used to have in Alberta that kind of petered out in the, in the, in the eighties and nineties. Um, uh, but I think, um, I'm not surprised that there are people who want to organize um, slates of candidates or organize groups of candidates to run um, either under un, uh, either officially under a banner um, or uh, loosely under under a banner of you know being a progressive slate or or a conservative slate, um, particularly municipally, where I think a lot of the frustration I've heard from some, especially some progressive organizers in Edmonton, is that. You have candidates who are, you know, who brand themselves as progressive, um, who talk like progressives, but when they get elected to city council, they vote, you know, increasingly vote for, uh, you know, for urban sprawl, or they, you know, they're they're close, they're tied, they're tied in, they they have their networks with the with the developers or with the builders, and I think there's a kind of an increasing frustration around that, and what we saw. Um, which the the Edmonton Journal published. The Edmonton Journal kind of published this gotcha piece. Um, Keith Jaron and uh, and some reporters of the journal uh, were able to get uh, get a hold of some emails from some progressive organizers with ND, a lot of them with NDP affiliations, who about a year ago were kind of tossing around the idea of holding nominations in every municipal ward to select one progressive candidate uh, to run. Um, it didn't work because there were honestly there were probably probably too many progressive candidates and you know, why would they want to, you know, they think they're the best one, best ones to run. So, uh, you know, they couldn't, they didn't get the buy-in from progressive candidates at the municipal level that they wanted to. Um, and I think that's fine. I don't think that, I don't necessarily think you should have, you should be limited to one single, you know, one single candidate um, having, you know, a certain set of ideas and award, you know, if a slate wants to run for a nomination and, or wants to run nominations, and then, you know, the person who wins those nominations gets the endorsement of, you know, whatever group or whatever slate, I think that's fine. But I think the problem was when they started to ask or suggest that other candidates wouldn't be able to run if they, you know, they, if to participate in this, you'd have to step down as a candidate if you didn't win the nomination. And, you know, we don't have a formal political party structure. And right now, municipally in Edmonton, and I think that, you know, there's no, they, the structure, the, the, the group who was, was promoting this idea hadn't really proved that, you know, that their endorsement was worth, you know, was worth the weight, the weight in gold that they might, they might've been promising. So right. I don't, I, I don't have any problem. I think that's fine if, if there are progressives organizing and want to get a, you know, want to get a group of progressive candidates to run or, or you know, that's fine. That's democracy. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and political organizing is probably something we should do a lot more and a lot more efficiently at the municipal level, because I think that, that, I mean, no one has a problem or, you know, you don't see outrage when candidates go to, you know, the constant string of developer and real estate agent forums and meetings that, that are constantly held every single election. I mean, that's, 
that's essentially a, a version of political organizing. So, you know, if, if progressive organizers want to get out there, get out there and organize candidates, I think that's, I think that's fine. What I, what I don't necessarily see is, and I think is, is still, in, is still conflicted um, or hasn't really panned out is what is a, prog- what is progressive? What does progressive mean at the municipal level? And I think it probably it probably means a lot of things, and it's kind of a bit of an ambiguous term right now. Um, but I wouldn't mind seeing like a real kind of direction or progressive d- ideas for a real progressive direction municipally, and 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 whether that's you know, I mean, it's got to be more than just like densify and better transit. Like, what what is your what is your vision? Is what kind of what I'm what I'm looking for. There you go. That's uh that's a long answer for, for that question. So that's a thank good, you. No, I, I appreciate you. I <laughs> uh, appreciate you taking the time. And Jeff, Jeff McLarty asked a big question and I think that's why it took us a while and we went on some tangents. So thanks for asking the question, Jeff. This next one, our second last question comes from uh, Dick Ritchie 14. How do we convince the NDP to drop out in mill woods and the liberals to drop out in Griesbaugh? So, so Dick is worried about vote splitting. Well, it's neither right. of those parties are going to drop out in either of those writings. Yeah, exactly. So we can't convince. So them. they're not going to. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Dick. Sorry. Our, our last question comes from a fellow Alberta podcast network member, Herman Vijegas. He hosts the Modern Manhood podcast, which I highly recommend uh, you give a listen to. It's talk about progressive. It's a great, great show. Absolutely. Uh, and Herman wants to know how he should get hyped up to vote for a candidate that he knows will lose. What do you think, Dave? Like, do you always vote your conscience? Are you a strategic voter? And when you know someone's going to lose, how do you, how do you get the drive to go and mark that ballot anyhow? Well, I, I, I love elections and I love democracy. So I get excited about it uh, regardless. Um, I have voted like strategically or, or made decisions to vote for candidates who I thought were going to win not necessarily candidates who I thought um, I thought were the best candidates before. And I try not to do that anymore. Why, so, why is that? Uh, because I want to support the candidate who I think is the best candidate. Um, so you're, you're saying Herman should just feel good that he's in a position to make the choice he wants to. Yeah. Most candidates are, are going to lose. Yeah. I mean, you know, only one candidate in your race in the race is going to win. So, but you never um, know. But you never know. So, you know, I mean that and that, you know, that vote, you know, so if you want to go and vote for the Marxist Leninist candidate or vote for the Green Party candidate or the or the, uh, you know, whatever party candidate um, that will, uh, you know, I mean, that's that's an endorsement of, of, of that candidate. And I think that's important. Yeah. Well, there you go, Herman. Uh, good luck with your choice. Um, I hope that uh, hope you feel good about voting, man. Get excited about democracy. There you go. Awesome. Well, that's it for our mailbag this episode. A great, uh, great uh, time to spend with you, Dave, answering questions from our from our listeners. Yes, this was a lot of fun. <laughs> thanks, Adam, and thanks to everyone who sent in questions. That's awesome. Um, it's great to be back, and we're we're excited to be back for for our our I think our third or fourth season of the Dave Berta podcast. Yeah, I think fourth. Fourth, yeah, season four. Okay. Wow. Thank you. To everyone who listened and uh, and subscribed to the Daybird podcast this week, and uh, of course a huge thanks to Adam Rosenhardt, our producer, for making this podcast sound so great. It's my my pleasure to be on this journey with you, Dave. It's it's and it and quite the quite the journey it is. Uh, the the Daybird podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown and community supported. 
Send us your feedback on social media, Twitter, Instagram at, at DaveBerta or on the DaveBerta Facebook page, or you can send us an email at podcast at DaveBerta.ca. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll look forward to being back and uh, coming with a new podcast in a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs>